Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Hardwood Knocks. This is Dan and Adam coming to you live after the 2022 NBA draft. You know, we, we were talking a little bit before we actually started this broadcast and felt like, aside from the New York Knicks, this draft was a little bit light on storylines, and perhaps that's because there, there weren't any like truly egregious selections. I don't think there's any one player who we we looked at him and it's like, yeah, he went way too early. What in the world was Team X thinking? It kind of went according to form. And all of those big trades that were promised by the, the trade announcing powers that be prior to the draft starting just didn't come to fruition. John Collins is still on the Atlanta Hawks. No big names really got traded unless you're still considering Kemba Walker a big name. So it was just kind of, a, it was, it was a, a strange draft. How are you doing in the aftermath of it, Dan? I am, you know, I probably shouldn't be gutted or surprised that the Knicks were just a great big ball of shit, but I'm still, I'm fatigued from it. I'm tired. I mean, how, of how many tired. years do they have to do that to you before you just like accept it? I look, this was the straw. Like, I think they should have prepped it for us last summer, the way that they acted, because they clearly read too much into 2020, 2021. But like until this point, the most unforgivable thing they probably did under Leon Rose was either the the first round pick swappery last year. They rushed to extend Julius Randle or giving Evan Fournier three guaranteed years when they gave two to Alec Burks and Nerlens Noel. That stuff was innocuous for the most part, though. Um, That is how I am doing. How are you doing before we actually belly flop and let's give some people <laughs> some time to maybe straggle in here? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, you know, long days as always between work and parent life. It's uh, it's always a lot, but I uh, I always enjoy watching the draft and I, I feel like I come out of it the same way every year, no matter what kind of coverage I'm doing. And it was more behind the scenes coverage this year than like producing grades or editing live grades or anything like that. But it's like I I don't know who plays for what team right now. Like I, I have a general sense, but really, like if you if you made me play who he play for right now, I I would fail just as epically as Charles Barkley always does. Um, per me and where I'm employed, I'm not going to comment on Charles Barkley. Yeah, you're not allowed to. Uh, <laughs> I can now. <laughs> I did. As we wait for people to come in, I want to take one minute to announce that there are going to be some changes to the podcast. Um, Adam is bidding us quasi farewell. This is not a real farewell. He will still be back, you know, probably once a month. Maybe if he's itching to come on more, we would be happy to have him, but he is doing big things at sports casting. He is super important. Um, I am upset. I am sad. I think part of what makes me enjoy this podcast so much is it was founded around a deep seated friendship and not just people talking hoops. I'm going to miss that. Um, full disclosure to our listeners, there was a couple of weeks where I was just dead set on ending the podcast. Uh, it's a lot of work. I've never done it for the money. Um, I've done it to interact with you guys just to have fun with this and to, I mean, you're kind of irrelevant if you don't have a podcast and you're a full-time NBA writer, but still, um, the podcast will go on though. I am still in the process of, and have already found some people who are willing to be reoccurring guests, um, just so that I'm not constantly doing solo pods or having to find, you know, it'd be, it's nice to know when you have a co-host, I'm going to do episode with person X. I'm trying to make sure that this podcast will have that once a week. And then I can, the other episode or two a week that we do to get to two or three episodes per week, there'll be solo mailbags. There'll be other guests. 
Um, if listeners, I've said this in Discord a bunch, join our Discord, links in the podcast description and the YouTube description. Um, if you have recommendations of who you would like to hear on the podcast, I'm a very big fan of getting people who are, I feel weird saying this because I'm not well known, but I want people who don't get enough shine. I feel like this podcast is uh, relentlessly underrated and I want to more people who are relentlessly underrated as guests. If they cover a specific team, the league at large, you can feel free to message me in discord. I'm on Twitter at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. The handle is actually on the screen. So I wanted that quick note. This is not Bon Voyage. Adam and I are still going to be friends. He's still going to come on the podcast. Who knows where this takes us? Maybe one day um, he will be on the podcast again, or it'll be, for all we know, it could be under the sportscasting umbrella or something. Um, I haven't ruled anything out. Adam, as far as I know, hasn't ruled anything out. Like I said, I am sad, but I heart him forever, and I will miss him, but he's not actually going anywhere. But I did want to just say that so the listeners know where we were at. And also I did have questions of, okay, well, where is Adam? And it's good to know that people were listening to the extent that they, they knew that you weren't coming on the show as recently. I was going to say, like, I'm sure that anyone who has followed the, the podcast closely is, is not too surprised by this. And it was a, a very difficult and bittersweet decision as, as Dan knows for sure. And I'm, I'm glad that I'll at least be welcomed back in like the recurring guest role as weird as it's going to be to not do the introduction. But yeah, sometimes life just gets a little bit too busy. Um, the the brief explanation is that with a three and a half year old, and then I was unexpectedly promoted into a managing editor role at Sportscasting. Uh, so I'm spending so much time doing you know ideation processes and trying to solve issues and brainstorm things and whatnot. That I just I felt like I did not have the mental bandwidth to come up with the brainstorming that we needed here or to give Dan the support that he needed from a co-host. So it was a uh, it was tough, but stepping down out of love for the podcast. And we're basically moral stories. I'm very angry with Adam and there is discord. I mean, always. But let's actually talk about the NBA draft now that we've given people some time to straggle in here. I think we actually lost listeners while going through that, but that's okay. Uh, I, we have to start with the Knicks, which is just like there was, I mean, this. well, actually, we should start with the surprise at the top. Uh, draft. No, we should start with the Knicks. All right, we'll start with the Knicks. I don't understand what they're doing anymore. They, to me, they suck. They are a hopeless franchise that will never get out of their own way. They are unsuited to change for more than a season or two at a time. They lull fans into thinking that maybe they're acting normal. And I think they did sort of at the start of the Leon Rose era. I actually wrote an article about the New York Knicks looking like they reformed. Never again will that happen. Uh, definitely not with this regime. They're... Mode of operations on draft night was complicated, but Tim Bontemps tweeted it out. The Knicks traded the 11th pick to OKC. They took Usman Jang. OKC gave the Knicks three first-round picks. The Nuggets in 2023, Detroit's in 2023, Washington's in 2023. They are all heavily protected until kingdom come. I would estimate that all of them will convey at some point, but I do think that Washington pick has a chance of not conveying. The Knicks then traded Denver's 2023 pick and four seconds to Charlotte for the 13th pick. They then traded the 13th pick with Kemba Walker, who is on an expiring contract to Detroit for that Milwaukee 2025 first. Um, so they finished, they're not net plus three picks here, but they're still, they had their plus two picks and they're still, they could have had three picks on the night or whatever you want to frame this. Um, they're leaving this draft night with three future first rounders, which is not like this colossal loss, 
But what they did on draft night was colossally clarifying because, as Mark Stein noted, as everyone under the sun noted, this move gets them to a certain amount of cap space. The numbers, uh, my projections must be off because people have them at 18. I have them at like 15-ish. Regardless, they are still one salary dump away from affording Jalen Brunson, who is expected to get between 20-plus million up to 25 million per year. Uh, Jay Fisher of Bleacher Report reported on his Please Don't Aggregate This podcast, which apologies then for aggregating that, uh, that the Brunson's return to Dallas has been painted as sort of this basically a done deal. I would assume that after the Knicks hired Rick Brunson, Jalen's father, and jumped through all these hoops, those are things that they wouldn't have done. And I know that Rick Brunson already had ties to the Knicks, yada, yada, yada. Um, Leon Rose is also Jalen's former agent, I believe. You don't go through these steps unless you think you have at least a chance. And so the best case scenario is the Knicks get their guy, in which case they will have given, let's say, $25 million a year to a non-star who neither accelerates nor is good enough, as good as he is, to define their timeline. And this is detrimental ass thinking. That is where I'm at. It's I know some more optimistic people have portrayed this as, oh, the Knicks are loading up on future picks for a trade. No. Like, these picks are not sexy enough to be that. Um, Detroit's 2023 first. Um, it's, it, it's I think, top 18 protected. The Washington 2023 first. Um, it's protected through 2026. And it does get a little loosey-goosey. So, like, there's a chance, in theory, that it get, you get to a point where it's top eight protected. Um, these are not sexy picks. That Milwaukee pick in 2025, I'm going to call it now, if that thing is higher or I don't know how to frame this. If it's better than 22nd overall, I'll be floored. You gave up on two lottery picks. I'm not saying you could have had two lottery picks, though the asking price suggests you could have if you really wanted to, but you punted on two separate lottery selections, which is not a luxury you have. You do that when you're close. The Knicks are on the precipice of absolutely fucking nothing. They just finished 11th in the Eastern Conference. If you sign Jalen Brunson, guess who your best player is? Jalen Brunson. Unless Julius Randle has sort of this renaissance, which I would, I don't know why anyone would bank on that at this point, to be honest with you. Maybe RJ Barrett pops. And even if RJ Barrett pops, which I won't rule out, I was lower on RJ Barrett to start his career. I was clearly wrong. You've short circuited some of your flexibility moving forward. If you've paid Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle's extension kicks in. RJ Barrett, hello, is extension eligible right now. This is just really nearsighted short circuitry by the Knicks. And it's it, there, there is no justification behind this right now. And I, I'm not really surprised. Like I I'm deadly hollowed to what this franchise does, but this was like, it took a special la uh, lack of self-awareness to do this. The Knicks do not understand how to build or act like an actual basketball team. And I think fans should be absolutely positively livid. And the final thing I'll say is this is not a move that is some, harmless innocuous slapdashery this is the type of move the type of thinking that should cost the people in charge their fucking jobs this is unforgivable inexplicable i am heated knicks fans should be heated they're they're i don't know why you would ever look at this team and think that they're ever going to climb outside the sub middle of the nba right now because all they've constantly done is everything possible to stay exactly there so first of all i hope that that was at least somewhat cathartic for you because there was some passion in there. I Second of all, with rage. I don't. I don't really know if it was following this. Whatever it was, live during the draft was wild. Just no one knew what the details were, how it was going to play out. 
whether New York was getting players or giving up players, who was going to whom. It was just, it was a mess all the way around because these deals were so complicated and the details just like slowly trickled out for hours and hours. Third of all, the optimistic view here, I think, is, hey, at least the Knicks got more picks that they can use to foster future salary dumps like Jalen Brunson. Because you said the best case scenario here is that they end up getting Jalen Brunson at like $25 million a year. Is is that really the best case scenario? <laughs> like, is, is them having that contract on the books for another mediocre team actually the best case scenario? Or is it better for them if they miss out on him and this, this newly freed up cap space just goes to waste or is used inexplicably on a, a, a more short-term buy? Because I might argue that the latter is better because Jalen Brunson looked awesome as a number two to Luka Doncic in the playoffs. And the Knicks sure as hell do not have a Luka Doncic and are banking on a remarkably small sample size from a breakout player who we don't really know yet has staying power. And Jalen Brunson has a lot of fun elements to his game. He can put pressure on the basket. He can create his own looks. He's good off the ball. He profiles as a good number two, you know, maybe even a number three on a true title contender because frankly, Dallas was short of being a title contender, even with Jalen Brunson and Luka Doncic playing at a high level during the postseason. So like, is it the best case scenario to have him aboard as either your number one or your number two to either RJ Barrett or Julius Randle? Because I don't think it is. I, there's, like, there's I, a face to be made that is not. Just, so that their ideal plan just makes them worse. You know, not necessarily worse in the short term, but even further from actually being a legitimate contender. It, it's yeah, it's them treading in place. And also the one pushback I'll give you is that if they don't get Jalen Brunson, they're going to go out and get Malcolm Brockton. And that would arguably be a worse outcome given Malcolm Brockton's injury history. So, but maybe at least that injury history would manifest itself again and they could get a better pick of their own until they trade that away. I, I just don't, I don't know what the justification is here. And look, I don't, if anyone wants to throw in the fact that, Oh, Kyrie is looking like he wants to get out of Brooklyn. Uh, the amount of money that the Knicks need to clear, if they actually wanted to sign him, it is substantially more um, to get up to, I think it's about 42.7 million for him to get up to. Um, that's going to take salary dumps. That's going to take more pick equity and you should not be hitching any part of your wagon to Kyrie Irving at this point. I, I think I'm with you in the sense there's a case maybe they could be worse off with Jalen Brunson. At least though, there's like a known quantity there of what's coming with the Knicks. Whereas if you don't get Jalen Brunson, literally anything else is on the table. And yeah, that's that it's just like, congrats on your best case scenario being a first round punching bag for the foreseeable future. And like, this awesome. Just, Great this, job. This, this also, and I, I totally understand that there could still be like, what happens if some of these picks are now rerouted to Dallas as part of some sign in trade for Jalen Brunson? Because this also feels like it shows an ignorance to how NBA teams are built right now, where it's, if they're not organic, where you're drafting them and maybe finding them when they're, you know, their values are down. No one's just leaving in free agency anymore of this magnitude. Players are getting their money and then trying to figure out how to uh, leave later and if they are leaving, it's because guess what? At this point, they're non-stars. Um, and I know Jalen Brunson's case is, is just unique with the way his deal ended up working out with the Mavericks. And Jalen Brunson is really, really good. 
He kept him out. This isn't to sell Jalen Brunson short. He is a phenomenal number two on a on a on a good team. He's just he's not the guy. And look, I would argue because I'm saying Kyrie Irving isn't even that guy. There are very few guys to where you should be just trying to clear the deck and burning through. I don't want to say assets because the Knicks didn't burn through a ton of assets here, but they cost themselves opportunities. And as a team that just finished 11th in the East and still doesn't have, I like Emmanuel quickly. I like, I love RJ Barrett, um, Quentin Grimes, Deuce McBride. I'm a little lower on Obi Toppin. than I think the consensus Knicks fan base, you still don't have the star and the guaranteed star in the making. RJ Barrett is as close as you come. And that's just not close enough. If you're looking to enter the upper echelon, of the East. So I understand that there's more to team building than winning a title, but like you need to have a direction an aim, any sort of coherence with which you operate. And the Knicks just don't. And it's, it's tiring. Like this is just a franchise that is never going to get out of its own way. And I, I don't even understand like what, I don't even understand what they're looking at Jalen Brunson and seeing. And look, the other thing is like, there should be an investigation here 100% if the Knicks get Jalen Brunson after hiring his dad to Tibbs' coaching staff. I know there are deeper ties there, but, like, come on. Like, come, I, I think Jalen Brunson's dad— Is that even, actually uh, against the rules? I, well, Rick, didn't Rick Brunson come out in a Tim McMahon article and was basically saying, um, like, I've already told Leon that, like, there's no guarantee that Jalen's coming? It's like, that conversation probably shouldn't have legally been happening. And I know it does, but this is just, like, what— what kind of Johnny in the chat says Kyrie is coming? I w- would you prefer that to Jalen Brunson, fro? Like Kyrie going to the no. Knicks, right? Because I don't think no. Jalen Brunson will submarine the Knicks from within. The Knicks will submarine themselves, but Kyrie Irving and the Knicks, like in the same, being tied to one another, that would be an exercise in dual self sabotage. So I'm, I don't know that I have any other words to this other than you can tell me. Maybe there's a scenario in which this pans out. Does another star become available that they're because look, Brunson can like, be a who number... are you getting? Right. What That's... asset equity do you have to trade here for an actual star? Johnny, I'm a Nets fan. Enjoy. <laughs> um yeah, I just I I actually just wrote this. Jalen Brunson can be your number two if your number one is a top ten guy in the NBA. And the Knicks don't have that. I don't know what their pathway is to getting him unless Kevin Durant decides he wants to leave the Nets for the Knicks. And even if that he has four years left on his deal, if I'm Brooklyn, um, I know it's weird to grow a backbone now after you just bent over for <laughs> him and Kyrie Irving all these years, I would send him wherever the hell I wanted. That's just going to give me the best, the best offer. And you know, I'm pretty pro, pro player when it comes yep. to this stuff. Yep. So I, I just don't, I'm even trying to think of a counter argument to what you and I just laid out of how this could all work out. I don't, I don't have one. I could I have nothing. I could even argue, let's say RJ Barrett develops into a perennial all-star that the Knicks have kind of just marginalized the next three to four years of his career, at least. I mean, I guess, like, if, if you go this non-cynical, true best-case scenario route, they're getting Jalen Brunson, RJ Barrett pans out, quickly becomes a good source of offense, Toppin looks good, Julius Randle returns to previous levels, you're still not really a title contender, and then you have three picks in the coming years that are going to fall in, like, the 20s, you get a few dart throws, maybe you hit on one, but still, like, that hinges on everything going right. And what in the last six decades has convinced us that things are going to go right for the New York Knicks? I I got nothing for you there. I, I on, don't either. You want to move on to a happier topic? Absolutely. How the top three ended up shaking out, just in the sense, yeah. Paolo Bencaro going number one, 
I don't know if you saw Wednesday night. It was basically overnight. The NBA draft markets just shifted. The betting so odds were so volatile. Right. And like, what did, what happened there? Um, I actually, I like the way it, I thought Paolo Bancaro was the number one player on my, on my board. When I get like knee deep in the draft, I actually also think this helped out the Rockets because I could see Jabari Smith jr. Being a better fit next to Shangoon since Jabari Smith just profiles as a more uh, versatile defender. Um, I think, and people mentioned this, these were three guys who were all considered potential number one picks, but to, to end up with any of them is just like you end up, I don't think anyone necessarily lost this. Just what did you make of that last minute shift? And is there anything else? Like, I know some people painted it. Like, is this a win or a loss for the NBA draft betting markets? Because it's like, it was kind of shady how it all went down. And then it's like, okay, but there probably were people that took Paolo when he was like, I saw him at plus 745. I saw him at plus mm-hmm. 2000. So you could have technically lost a lot of money there, but it was just weird that you had Woj, even as the markets were shifting, coming out and saying, no, no, it's, it's Jabari. And then, you know, he weathermans it up by like just sort of changing his yeah. position as the, as the climate changed. Honestly, I don't, I don't pay enough attention to the betting stuff to really like have a take on what it means other than it was interesting to follow and that it seemed like the betting markets won out over the newsbreakers. I don't really know what that means if it was just like a bunch of sharps or if there was leaked information that not everyone had access to or something shady going on. Um, but it's it's just, to me, it's another piece of the puzzle that you can pay even more legitimate attention to in, in future years. But as, as for the order of the top three, my board was slightly different than yours where I did have Chet Holmgren number one and then Paolo Bencaro number two. I did have Jaden Ivey number three and then Jabari Smith Jr. number four where Smith is the only one of those guys who I'm like legitimately a little bit worried about because as, as appealing as the pull-up jumpers are and the defensive versatility is, I don't see the shot creation and the the ability to attack the rim. He doesn't draw fouls. He shot 43.5% from inside the arc against a significantly lower caliber of athlete on the defensive end in the sec compared to the NBA. So I I can see some struggles for that offensive game to pan out where instead of looking like the Kevin Durant comparison, he's going to be more like Al Harrington, Marvin Williams kind of thing on the lower end. And that's selling him too short. Like that's the worst case scenario. I think that, you know, if he does bust for lack of a better term, we're still looking at a guy who has a long productive NBA career as an important contributor, just without hitting that level of stardom. I just see more upside with Chet Holmgren and Paolo Bancaro, whose offensive versatility I just absolutely adored during my own evaluation process. So I liked how this order panned out, where I still would have gone with Holmgren at number one for Orlando, but I still think the Magic made the right move by avoiding the lowest possible outcome in favor of a safer pick. Because ultimately, like they, the Magic do still have a lot of mystery box potential on that team where if things are clicking, there's a lot to like about that up and coming team. Yeah, that that's a good point. And they do need, I still am a big believer in Jalen Suggs, but they're, they're still in talent acquisition mode. Like Franz Wagner is going to pan out. That's great. Wendell Carter Jr. was fantastic for them. Jonathan Isaac might be healthy this season. That's a big deal. I don't know that you look at them and say, okay, well, there's our pole star for the future. Yeah. And so you, you need to take those, 
swings there. What did you make of, I made jokes on Twitter. I actually, in theory, didn't have much of a problem with the Kings taking Keegan Murray at four. Um, but what, just what did you make of, I, the reflexive response is going to be, they should have traded down and gotten value for that. You don't know if they were teams willing to give them anything. I think from my perspective, what's tough for me to wrap my head around, they're like, I would have went with the the higher upside there. If you, if, if you think Keegan Murray is going to be better than um, Jay and Ivy, that is fine. The Kings though, have not her earned the benefit of the doubt on this subject. No, like, they haven't. I, I respect them for going the route that they wanted to, but they haven't, they've earned whatever doubt is coming their way. I still would have, this just feels like a situation where they might've been catering too much to fit. And it's unless they really think that if Keegan Murray was the best player on their board, that's good. And he is a really good fit, by the way. Like those he very the- well could have been because he was almost a consensus top five prospect. Um, I, do, I do wonder how much Jaden Ivey sort of steering himself, trying to steer himself outside yeah. of Sacramento played a role. And I just, I'm kind of, done with Sacramento, like just bending to like the wind that like at points, like the Luka Doncic stuff way back when we don't need to rehash that, but just, I, this is either going to be something where maybe this is the turning point because, Oh, the Kings didn't try and outthink themselves. They went with who they believe the best player is, or they almost played it too safe and prioritized fit over upside. I would have just taken Jaden Ivey and figured it out later with the Aaron Fox and Sabonis. That that's what I would have done. Honestly, I didn't have that much of a problem with it because to me, if you are looking to trade down and capitalize on the interest in Jaden Ivey, you're most likely putting yourself out of position to get Keegan Murray, who is a good fit with that De'Aaron Fox, DeMontis, Sabonis core that ultimately looked better than expected at the tail end of the 2021-22 season. I don't know how long the Kings are going to keep the window open for that core. So I don't really mind them prioritizing a guy who you don't have to just bank on the talent and figure it out. And if it doesn't work, we're hitting the reset button yet again on an experiment that actually looked promising. So I think it makes sense from a beleaguered franchise's perspective in that we finally have some positive momentum. Let's not take the bigger swing and figure it out on the fly. Let's instead compound what we already have going and make those continued strides that can amplify the growth of everyone else on the roster. Cause I think that's essentially what Keegan Murray can do as a versatile prospect who adds the shooting that that lineup needs. Whereas Ivy, you know, what if he is taking the ball away from Fox and Sabonis a little too frequently? And there are so many growing pains that you, you start to doubt the feasibility of that core that once looked promising. So given the, the hierarchy in this draft where there seemed to be like some fairly steep drop-offs after that point, I would put Mathurin in that, in that same tier where I actually had him above Murray on my board. Um, But beyond him, like beyond that top six, you're looking at a lower caliber of prospect in this draft. So if you're trading down for what exactly, if you do think that you have a good fit. So I don't know the last time I like truly defended the Sacramento Kings and I don't think that they like really, really maximized the asset they had under their control, but I also totally get why they went that direction. Which I I think, I think either take is fair at this point. My, my, my overarching stance was the Kings are going to get dragged. I'm not sure that they fully earned it, but they definitely deserve it because they're the Kings. I also think, 
the way that you look at this is perfectly reasonable, and it's going to take a few years before we know. That being said, how about them Pistons? Leaving this draft, like, with Jalen Duren and Jaden Ivey? Oh, my God. And you still have a crap So much cap space. You can still get to max room after waving or buying out Kemba Walker. You can wave and stretch him if you really want. Uh, I'd rather just, given where they're at in their development, I would just pay that entire salary. Um, It almost feels like a foregone conclusion that they're going to make the big offer sheet for Miles Bridges and probably get him. I actually like his fit now more. I love his than, fit now. Than 36 hours ago. I mean, um, a lineup, a lineup with him, Sadiq Bay, Jalen Duran, Jaden Ivey, and Cade Cunningham, like amazing. And you still have other pieces in play on these rookie scale contracts. You know, Killian Hayes and Isaiah Stewart. There, there's a lot of a lot of intriguing potential in Detroit right now. Yeah, they're gonna be they if Miles Bridges is on that team. They're going to be a league pass darling. And yes. this is just like serious weaponry for Cade. Someone who I trust Jaden Ivey's. I know the people that he's been compared to most like Derek Rose, Russell Westbrook, even job, which I don't know that I see as much in him of, of job. I trust his off ball offense more than the first two guys for sure. So you can work that route, but to now give you another ball handler, who's not Killian Hayes for Cade Cunningham to work off of. That's going to go a long way. Um, they have the tools like between Cade Cunningham, Sadiq Bay, Isaiah Stewart is still there as of now, as far as we know. Um, and then even like Jaden Ivey feels like a guy who, if he puts his physical, like uses his physical tools on defense, they, that team can be incredibly disruptive now with Jalen Duran there. Um, giving him a big, uh, Cade Cunningham a big in Jalen Duran, and even Jaden Ivey like that. I'm, I'm so excited to watch this team. And I know people were underwhelmed by the Jeremy Grant trade. The two things I pointed out when we discussed uh, when I discussed that with myself was if you're mad, it's you have to be mad because you think they could have done better at the trade deadline or last off season. I have no doubt they could have gotten a ton last off season, but we don't need these rebuilding teams to be co- like body farms for contenders after one year. Like that's going to, why would players want to go with you um, go sign with you? Even if you're paying them, giving them a more prominent role, if, if you'll just turn around and flip them after a year. And then also look what they ended up doing with that trade. Like they create cap space, but then they also use that first round pick to go out and get a lottery pick. Like, and all it cost you was a little bit of cap space and a, a first rounder that, again, if it's 23, if it's that high, 22, I would be very surprised. I can't wait to watch them. And I think, I think they're the biggest winners of the draft. It's them or OKC, by the way, because the fact that, oh, and um, shout out to Carrigan for mentioning this in the chat. OKC, like consolidating first is a big deal. It was none of the elite first. They didn't get a star, but. Like they just decided that they want Usman Jang on this team. That's already after getting Chet Holmgren. They had a really interesting draft. They could be like big and um, really feisty next season. I think that's what's so fun about this OKC construction too, is that they have so many players who can fill so many different roles and become so many different things. I mean, like I'm not ready to give up on Alexei Pokushevsky becoming something cool in the NBA. And Chet Holmgren kind of fills the same kind of bucket where you know, we don't know what he's going to be because he is another guy in that unicorn mold where he could fill basically any role. So you, you add to that, that all of a sudden you still have a ridiculous boatload of picks that you can use to go out and get a star player of any type when they become available. So it feels like OKC has just maintained such an impressive level of malleability while still acquiring so much talent. It's really hard not to just love 
the style of roster construction they've they've put together. I'm I, I just that's going to be another fascinating team for me. And I was already more fascinated with them than the I think the the average person at this point. Uh, but they, I'm I love Chet Holmgren there. I know you said he was your number one pick. I think the OKC was my favorite fit for him though. Agreed. Um, and not because Kendrick Perkins said that he's the love child of Chris Stops and Giannis. That was just like, shout out to Malika Andrews, by the way, for saving that broadcast. And I like how she was wildly entertaining, very insightful, ask good questions. I also thought like she was saving Perk from himself because she would mention about these players. Okay. He's wearing uh, an Oklahoma city thunder hat or a Knicks hat, but he's not going to the Knicks. Like just before Perkins would talk because there were, I think there was one occasion where he was talking about a player is fit on a team that had been traded. I don't remember the actual player. So um, shout out to her. Um, but those two teams stood out. Were there any other teams that stood out to you throughout this entire process? And then I think after that, we definitely need to get into the moves that weren't made, a.k.a. John Collins. My, my two favorite picks of the draft were Mark Williams going to the Charlotte Hornets at number 15. I just, I loved, love that fit. Um, just a dominant interior defender, really good in drop coverage, maybe not too laterally quick, but that might not matter given the ridiculous reach and size and athleticism that he has also with a bit of a blossoming offensive game. So I, I could totally see him thriving as an open court and pick and roll threat alongside LaMelo ball. He totally transforms that team's defense. I see a little bit of Rudy Gobert in him. Whenever I watched him at Duke, uh, I know that's a really lofty comparison, but I absolutely loved him as a prospect. Uh, the other favorite pick I had in the draft was Christian Coloco going to the Toronto Raptors at number 33 really fits the mold that we know Toronto loves, which is the athleticism and the length. Just another guy who didn't start playing basketball until I believe he was like 12, didn't take it seriously until 15 didn't stop playing soccer competitively until 17. So we're still seeing a lot of late developing growth to his game, much in the vein of like Pascal Siakam. And already during his uh, his last year at Arizona, you could see just how good he could be on both ends of the floor. There's a developing jumper that's really convincing. There's so many, many, many examples of great defensive instincts and the ability to utilize that length. I just... I feel like Toronto keeps doing everything it can to make sure that you and I absolutely adore that roster. I will say, I don't think their obsession with maybe getting a big, like a trading for one, I don't necessarily understand, but I'm, I'm with you overall there too. Um, Colin asks, with the Pistons drafting Duran, who becomes the favorites to sign Aiton? Spurs, Atlanta? I want to make one thing clear. The Hawks should not be going after DeAndre Ayton. No, no, not with Clint Capella and Nyaka Kongu and John Collins still on the roster. This isn't a shot at Collins. This has been something that's made the rounds. Phoenix yeah, Sun absolutely. Twitter was mad at me the other day because I said, if you have to trade John Collins for DeAndre Ayton, let's say, was what they proposed, and then you're saying that they will turn around and then move one or Capella at least or Okongu as a result, you're not better. Like Even if you think DeAndre Ayton is, is the best player of those four, which he could be. I think there's probably debates in there. You're not better. Um, I would say, I think the Spurs now, and one of the worst kept secrets in the league at this point, and you can just read between the lines on the way this has been reported, DeAndre Ayton really wants to go to the San Antonio Spurs. Um, 
But now that the Pistons are sort of off the table, I can't even think of like a dark horse for him. If Charlotte wanted to get involved in some sign and trade stuff, but they've already kind of played some of their, their better hands in, in that regard. That's another also team. Mark but, Williams. Yeah, right. Um, oh yeah. I forgot about that. Also speaking of teams that don't know how to run themselves, I do. You, did Charlotte get enough compensation? I guess if you still ended up with Mark Williams, you're fine, but that was a really weird. It was weird, but I I think the explanation from the organization that came out during draft night was that they just, they're in win now mode and in getting better mode. And they weren't going to do that by adding two rookies. So I think knowing that you were going to have access to Williams two picks later allowed you to to potentially take a, a package that was a little bit less appealing. Um, I want to shout out the Bucks here, and we'll see if they play him or stick with him moving forward. I love Marjan Brochamp. Him and Dyson Daniels were the players that I fell in love with and was much higher on. Bryce McGowan was there too. I was actually shocked at how how low he fell. But uh, Marjan Brochamp, I'm not the best person to ask about this, but I look at the jumper, the form, and even the, I won't say it's fast, but the speed at which he's releasing them, I think he's going to be fine. And so you give sort of the rim pressure that he's going to provide you away from the ball, coupled with how you can move him around defensively. I li- It feels like they were taking a swing because I feel like his 90th percentile or above outcome is way more idealistic than people were giving credit. I don't think he could be a superstar, whereas I could see Dyson Daniels being like, I just feel like he could end up being an all-star like into that discussion. I love that pick for the bucks. I wanted to see the nuggets where they made the Jermichael green trade. I thought he was a great fit there, but I think the bucks are also kind of sneaky winners here. Um, did you have any thoughts really quickly about, Oh, and the other winner shout out to the Sixers. Um, yes. you cut your payroll while getting better. So yep. I'm not, we don't need to celebrate them, but you also can, because when it's in, when you're cutting money to actually open up more money and what they're trying to do for anyone who wants to know, or doesn't necessarily understand, they want to access the non-taxpayers mid-level exception in addition to the biannual exception while keeping James Harden. This move alone doesn't allow them to do that, but they've cut their payroll making it a little bit easier for them to access at least the non-taxpayers mid-level exception. You got rid of Danny Green, who I still think is just like unfairly criticized a ton, but he tore his left ACL and LCL last year. He wasn't going to play for you this season in all likelihood, and he is older. For De'Anthony Melton, who gives you like a point of attack defender who can also guard up, and he's turned into a 3 and D guard, essentially, which you don't see much of in the NBA the past two years. He's hit his threes, and he's working a ton off the ball for the most part. I don't, you don't want him running your offense, but now you're just not dependent at all on shake Milton essentially. So um, having Melton, Maxi, Harden and bead Tobias Harris there uh, like you, there's a nice base in Philly. And again, I think this acts in service of them. They, they didn't even have to get rid of Tybal. Although I just, I'm kind of out on him at this point, someone who has not improved at all since he came into the league. Um, but I really liked that move for them. And I, I really like Melton. And the other thing too is I don't like looking at it in these terms. It's a very team-friendly deal. 8.3 million next season and then only 1.5 million guaranteed the following season on an $8 million salary. That becomes, if you need, they lacked middle-rung contracts to go out and make trades with. Um, now at least you have a useful player who will actually play, whereas Danny Green probably wasn't going to play this season if you need to make other deals in the middle of the year. So I, I really liked what the Sixers did there. Your thoughts on that and also what you, like Memphis was just sneaky kind of smart again too. There was, the initial thought was, oh, 29 and 22 for 19, but then they ended up getting number 23 from Philly anyway. And it's like, um, 
given one that you ended up with Ty Ty Washington, I liked that swing. It's insurance against Tyus Jones leaving in free agency. I, I don't want to say that DeAnthony Melton was redundant, but he is still a defense first player. And you have enough of those on your roster and Kyle Anderson, Dylan Brooks, etc. I also like the Philadelphia move. Um, I, I think Melton fits really nicely with that roster and it was a good use of money. As you mentioned, unlike the Atlanta Hawks, where I just, I think it's so unforgivable to ever sell a second round pick in today's NBA. And like, granted they, they sold it to also, you know, get a, a later second round pick, but just take the dart throw. You know, you, even if it doesn't hit, like that is your chance of securing a guy for a long time who has upside, who you can develop in the G League, who you can develop on a two-way contract, and you are depriving yourself of a chance to be competitive. Uh, that said, I, I liked what Atlanta did overall on the night for two reasons. One, AJ Griffin. You know, getting him at 16 is a coup. It's it's at least partially driven by the concerns over his knees. But if he is healthy, the defensive versatility that he brings in the three-point shooting in a lineup with Trey Young is phenomenal. That was a dream get for the Hawks, who I would bet going into the draft they might have imagined they would have to trade up to get. And speaking of trades in the Hawks, I think they're also winners for not caving and trading John Collins. I've liked the DeJounte Murray package as long as there's not too many first round picks going to San Antonio in such a deal, just because he is such an ideal fit alongside Trey. But other than that, like I do not get this the seeming insistence to move Collins, who is actually a good fit on this roster. It just, it doesn't make any sense. So I'm glad whether it was because Atlanta came to its senses and decided not to trade a fringe all-star for a diminished package or because it just couldn't find a package that actually piqued its interest. Regardless, John Collins unexpectedly is still on the Hawks roster coming out of the 2022 NBA draft. And to me, that makes the Hawks winners here. Um, really quickly, shame on you for not correcting me. The Grizzlies, I lost track to not get Ty Ty Washington. They traded that pick. to Like Minnesota. I said, I, I still am trying to figure out who's on whose team. So they had, and we had the question asking how many rookies they ended up with. So they have Jake LaRavia, and they have um, David Roddy. And who else did they end up with? I don't even see. Um, Kennedy Chandler. I thought that was a very interesting pick by them when I saw that come out whilst I was writing. I think they ended up with three rookies, unless they've signed any two ways or something. And to the question of why did they end up with so many rookies, this is just a team that I think if any, everyone wanted them to make a consolidation trade, they were going to do the exact opposite. They're very invested in draft and development. And I do believe that they seem concerned with well, how are we going to keep this core together? Jaron Jackson Jr. has been paid. Will they extend Steven Adams? Anders is in free agency. Tyus Jones is in free agency. Um, and John Morant is going to, his new deal is going to kick in within a couple of years. So um, yeah, I I liked what, I, I like Memphis's confidence in itself is basically uh, what I'm saying there. And I've given I no reason to not be confident in themselves at this point. I will say to the Hawks thing, I'm I'm with everything you said. I think John Collins has become one of the most underrated players in the NBA at this point. We can talk about his limitations, but how about how he's actually managed to be a really high impact offensive player while not of, having the freedom that yeah, he out of curiosity, what are those limitations? Because so part, he's not a, he's not like a game-changing rim protector. We've seen a lot of defensive improvement from him over his time in Atlanta. 
where he has enough ability to, to maintain position on the perimeter. He can be an impactful help defender. Again, like not a game-changing all-defensive caliber stopper by any stretch of the imagination, but like not really a glaring weakness for him anymore. Right, and he's, as Colin says, the Grizzlies had four rookies. Um, I mean, we'll see how many of these guys end up on, the second-round picks specifically end up, maybe they'll end up on two ways. I know there was an anticipation a lot of second-rounders will be on two ways this year. Uh, yeah, I the li- people per our YouTube commenters and then mad people that, that were angry with me on Twitter, uh, like he his floor game actually isn't all that good. And I actually think it's better than people realize in part because he's not empowered to break it out enough and someone who has some directionality when he's going to put the ball on the floor at his size. No, I don't want him posting up if that's what you're looking for from him. I'm just, this is someone who has adapted really well over the past two seasons where they took away, stripped him of primary screener duty, essentially. Like, yeah, he's still going to set a ton of screens, but when you're playing with Capella, like you're no longer the the primary rim runner. I think he's been um, sneaky for them on the offensive glass at points as well. And you mentioned there's defensive improvement his biggest issue might be that he's a one position defender and it has to be against a certain archetype of player. But I would also argue if you put him on a team that has more defensive talent in front of him, yes. that you can probably steal more minutes with him at the five. Ultimately, you- no one in in this Atlanta system is going to look that good on defense right now because the, the infrastructure is just not in place. I loved that they were linked to, and I didn't get a chance to talk about this and it's a move that wasn't made. Uh, the DeJounte Murray rumors that the Spurs were entertaining offers on him. And it's like the first time I've heard a package where I can get behind it with Collins on the way out. That's the type that like, you need that player who, even if some people think John Collins is better in a vacuum. And I don't think most people would, they shouldn't. Yeah. you're, you're making your team better. And that's what I said. I wasn't sure how the Hawks get better by moving Collins because that player where you who's worth attaching other assets to Collins needs to be out there. And as it stands right now, I think you can make the case for Rudy Gobert. Is, and this is based off the reporting on who we think is available. Rudy Gobert, and there's Murray. And then it's like John, the John Collins for Harrison Barnes stuff I thought was weird for both teams. I somehow think that the Hawks might be better in the short term or at least have like better fitting. But Barnes isn't a lockdown defender at this point. And he very much needs to defend fours, I think, for the most part, too. And then I do not like the idea of Collins and Domas in the same front court in sack, especially with the lack of defensive talent around them. So, but like right now, the star trade market, even if, and if you think Kevin Durant or Kyrie is available, like neither of those guys are going to Atlanta. Um, although that'd be interesting to see Kevin Durant in Atlanta, if he did want to go there, uh, that player needs to be out there. And I think it's good that the Hawks didn't move Collins, but my, I guess this is the final question we need to touch on is John Collins, a member of the Atlanta Hawks to start next season though. At this point, I think so. I just don't think the the trade market has materialized in a way that is going to compel them to move him when they don't have to. And we're seeing it where consistently these these players are are drawing lesser packages than anticipated. I don't think we would have predicted Jeremy Grant goes for what he got back for Detroit going into the offseason. Um, it just it doesn't seem like the market is there right that right now. So I, I would say that he does stay. I probably less optimistic than you, but um, by the way, oh, my actual final draft. Take That's is the like, Knicks' fault, though. Uh, fuck the Knicks over the Knicks. I kind of really ridiculously liked the Spurs draft, at least definitely their first two picks and more specifically their second pick. Like, I think that that was the way that Malachi Branham was rising up draft boards. 
uh, our friend of the podcast, Coach Spins, not a believer in him. But if you can just sort of roll the dice on someone who might turn into this every level shot creator at 20, why the hell not? Like you had like first, you had another selection even after that. And also Jeremy Sowen's hair. Uh, loved it. It's amazing. I, I hope right. he fully leans into it and just goes full Dennis Rodman once he's actually in the NBA. Um, I actually really liked their their later picks even more. Blake Wesley and Kennedy Chandler, I think, are really good backcourt depth down the road. I love Kennedy Chandler's game. The athleticism, the, the quick hands, the defensive instincts, the shooting ability. I, I thought that he was a, I think a Kennedy 20-ish member of the Grizzlies, though. They did flip Kennedy Chandler to the Grizzlies. Did they? That's what's showing up on my the page uh, that I've opened. Like so. I said, who plays for who right now? The second Tomorrow round is for learning all of that. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> so tough when when prospects are flying all over the place. Well, I rescind everything about Kennedy Chandler, but I maintain that I like I like Blake Wesley as a fit there, unless he's no longer on the Spurs either, because who really knows? Uh, I mean, technically, you know, there's no rookie scale for the second rounder, so maybe, maybe he's not. But I am seeing that it looks like they kept him, so you're free to sort of wax poetic about him if you, if you would I, like. I, I, I no longer have the confidence to do so. Uh, wait, you said Blake Wesley. I'm sorry, he was 25. He is, he is still on the Spurs right. too. Uh, I know nothing about uh, Blake Wesley, but this was fun, Fro. We'll be talking to you again soon. Uh, if you guys enjoyed this, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on YouTube and also wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Shout us out. Tell people about us if you enjoyed us or even if you hate us um, to help us grow the community and follow us on the socials, the links to which are in our YouTube and podcast description. And until next time, slash as always, we leave with a shout out to the one, the only, Adam, the legendary Frommel. Oh, I don't accept that. I don't accept that because Dan has done so much for this podcast and put so many, so, so much time, so much effort into making this a thing and bring on fantastic lineups of guests and putting together creative concepts and pushing the platform forward on new places like TikTok and building a YouTube presence and the Discord channel that he is active in even when I can't be. So if anyone deserves a shout out, it's him. But I also refuse to accept a non-traditional shout out on what's going to be my final episode as a as a co-host. So I need you to rewind and, and do it the right way this time. So we can all agree, shout out to the one the only Frank motherfucking conference finalist, Neil Aquina. There it is.